And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, March 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. I wanted to make sure we finished our position preview before Eno is turned into some kind of vapor from all the news that is broken. He's being pulled in so many directions that uh, I just wanted to make sure we completed the series before the world sort of Yeah, I'm on in St. Louis, Toronto, and Hawaii after this. <laughs> and I just filed 5,000 words. <laughs> None of those three will call while we're recording. There's no chance that with all those places oh, being in different God. time zones, that sure one of them won't somebody. call. <laughs> Guaranteed. So if the phone rings or, or during the show. Or screwed up the time zones. Yeah. <laughs> I know you well Why enough you to know. Now? <laughs> that's a lot of it's a lot of juggling. Three very different time zones, and none of them are the one that you're in. That's the, that's even worse. And I do Zero. not use a calendar. <laughs> you may want to consider using a calendar. I've been trying to. just a really been friendly trying to. suggestion. It is our catcher preview. I have a friendly suggestion for everyone listening. If you are the commissioner of the league, or if you have influence of the league, you should. Speak to everyone, email, send a message, text, whatever it is, and suggest the possibility that if you've been using two catchers in your league for the indefinite past, that maybe it is time to reconsider that and to go down to a one-catcher league. And I'm not saying make the league easier. I'm not saying uh, have one fewer player drafted. I'm saying take that spot and replace it with an infielder, just a general infield spot. Any infielder would be eligible for that spot or a second UT spot. Either of those things would be good. And I think the immediate pushback people will give me is, we've always played that way. Yeah, I, I know. I get it. Uh, the game was made in the 80s. It's great. You don't have to change it, but you can change it. And the catcher pool is one of those areas where digging deep for a good second catcher or a not terrible second catcher, more accurately, isn't necessarily the most fun and skillful part of what we get to do on draft day. So this is my brief but very emotional appeal to at least consider the possibility of not playing with two starting catchers in your league if you have the control to make that change. I have a little, just a tiny bit of pushback. One is, it is the deepest, toughest thing to do. So if you really want to test yourself, finding a second good catcher in an AL-only league is just about the hardest thing you can do. <laughs> like one that doesn't cost a lot. You know, that's about the hard. You could really, if you just really want to test as far as you can, you can throw your, your, your analytical skills, then that's about the best way to do it. And the other one is, uh, and this one's a little bit more theoretical. <laughs> what if uh, robo-umps come in the next few years and suddenly catcher is an offensive position? Go back to two catchers then. <laughs> yeah. Throw a party. Make the chili from the original Roto drafts as, a, as part of the celebration. I, I'm not saying we have to rewrite the entire rule book. I'm saying let's make one structural change. I'm saying instead of getting out the monocle and going, hmm, who's a better AL only second catcher this year? Is it Tom Murphy or Kyle Higashioka? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm saying let's go just find another good player that plays anywhere in the infield because I think that's a lot of fun. That's all. Yeah. That's still hard. You're still Choosing from the pool of everyone, you can still yeah. choose crap players. I choose Victor Robles all the time. You can still choose crap players. <laughs> it's just more of your choice. <laughs> yeah, and if you said, oh, well, this made the league easier, add two more pitcher spots. Make it look more like a major league roster. Add three more mm. pitcher spots. Make it 14 and 12. Mm. That'll make it harder. Wow. Look, look at the pitching pool with three more active pitching spots. Okay. Ooh. I, I will stop. I will calm yeah, yeah. down. I will very politely say I've, I've made my point. And people will Fantasy hate on me on Twitter. Not real life. It also, the second catcher in real life does not play that much. You know? They're not in the active lineup every day. You could require every team roster two catchers at all time. That's sort of what Autonew does. It's kind of interesting. They're two catcher slots. 
However, the maximum amount of plate appearances you can get out of that is more like one catcher. I'm going to so get a monocle. Like that. By the I'm way, get a monocle. <laughs> I still have, have an AL only draft coming up in a couple of weeks. I need a monocle to figure out who my second catcher is going to be. The biggest, stra- I mean, the biggest strategy, the biggest question is whether or not, I mean, because you can actually see it. If you run the auction calculator, you can see that very few catchers have any intrinsic value. Just like if you took the, the, the position off of them and were just like, you know, looked at their batting line. Like if you did that for GT Real Muto, even you'd be like, oh, he's a good like fourth outfielder, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? and he's like one of three or maybe two catchers that has value without the position attached to him. So you have to decide. No matter how deep your your league is, you have to just. Dis- I think catcher strategy is something you have to decide. Now, if it's a twelve team one catcher league, I think the strategy is super easy. It's just wait, just grab one of the last ones. I think you still can benefit from even in a one catcher league paying the premium in a two catcher league. I think it's important to get at least one good catcher and good Mm. still being a relative term. I see three kind of in a cluster of their own above $20. If you run the auction calculator with the bat X Salvador Perez kind of in his own space at the very top GT real Mudo and Will Smith are all there pretty close behind him. Their ADPs all within the top 50 or so based on what we're seeing here in the NFBC over the last 15 days. Sal Perez is coming off of a year where, I mean, it all came together at once. And it happened a lot later than people would have expected. Like, if you'd told me six or seven years ago, he's going to pop 48 home runs in a season, I would have said, okay, that's happening, like, right now. That's not going to happen mm-hmm. later because of the the usage. I figured the heavy, heavy usage, he'd be the kind of guy that would decline pretty hard in his 30s. And instead, he had a season in which he hit more home runs than he did in 2018 and 2020 combined. That was with a lost injury season sandwiched in there in 2019, which is just absolutely remarkable. He's striking out more than he used to, but he hits the ball very hard. What do you make of Sal Perez? I think it's a broader question. Are top catchers worth the price? But is he the best catcher on the board coming off a season that just looks like an outlier, even though his previous levels were very good? The good is that nobody had more barrels. In fact, he had 25 more barrels than the second uh, most barreling catcher, Mike Zanino. Uh, nobody had anywhere close to as many hard-hit balls. The closest was GT Rimuto, who had 100 fewer hard-hit balls than Salvador Perez. So he he earned every bit of all that power. It, it wasn't some sort of got-lucky-just-enough situation, which I guess is obvious since he hit it 48 homers, but is worth saying because he his previous high is 27. You know? mm-hmm. But you know he hit all these numbers. The one thing I would say is that you would regress barrel rate like any other stat, maybe less than some other stats, but you'd still regress it. So his career barrel rate of uh, 9% and then his barrel rate last year of 16%, uh, you'd kind of regress one towards the other. I would say that you'd be more likely to come up with something like what he did last year where he had a 13, 14% barrel rate and 11 homers in what would have translated to what? 33 homers over the course of the season, full season, 35 homers. So I think he can hit, that's what these projections are for, around 35 homers uh, with a good batting average. Yeah, he's 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 worth it. He's he's like a 6 or $7 player without the catcher uh, title attached to him. Uh, the one thing that just leaves me cold is that he just has, you know, he reaches at everything. And he's one of the worst reach rate guys in baseball where he's, he's always swinging at something outside the zone. And he's 31, which is exactly when that starts to bite you in the butt. And if you look at his contact rates, uh, you know, by, by reach and, and so on, uh, right now his contact rate outside the zone has actually started to fall a little bit. He used to make contact rates outside the zone at, like when he first came in the league, at 80%, even though he was reaching a bunch. And then it dropped to 70, mid-70s, and then last year it was 56%. That's the beginning of a reach. That's what happens with reach rate. You cannot make uh, contact on those balls outside the zone like you used to. So I think it's possible that his strikeout rate goes up, even though all the projections have him regressing towards his his league thing. If he does not you know, make any more contact on pitches outside the zone, uh, which he shouldn't because he's aging, 
then uh, we could be talking about a guy who's more likely to hit 240 or 230 next year. And then he becomes a little bit more like a regular catcher, even though with a ton of power. Yeah, it's, you know, better versions of of Gary Sanchez and and players like that that go a lot later. I think the problem I have with with Sal and a snake draft is that with about a 15-pick difference, a full one round, if you're talking about a 15-team league, between Sal and then where Rayo Mudo and Smith go, the quality of the player you're getting, the alternative, the opportunity cost in the snake draft is pretty high on Sal right now. I'd rather, if I'm going to take one of the three elite catchers, take Will Smith or JT Realmuto around later. No guarantees you get them, of course, because other people might be interested too. But I think I feel better about the overall build in a snake draft. I think in scenarios where you can just go out and bid up whatever player you want, then sure, I have no problem going the extra buck for Sal. Because the, the hard hit thing you mentioned, this stat blew me away when I found it maybe a month or so ago. Only Vlad Jr. had more batted balls last season at 95 miles an 95 miles an hour and above. I mean that is that is a ton of hard contact. Yeah, it really is. Um I just have to tell you man that that plate that that plate those plate skills leave me cold. Like a like a 4% walk rate, 25% strikeout rate is that's, you know, people have been listening know that's not mm-hmm. not my deal. Uh the my deal is JTO Rumuto and I have have I have picked him in in a few leagues. I think I just got him in Barf. And especially in two catcher leagues, there's one thing I really like about JT Romuto. There are no other catchers that offer you positive value in batting average and stolen bases. There are none. Zero. And the only one that gets close is Dalton Varsho, uh, but he he is not projected to offer uh, value in batting average, and he doesn't offer as much in stolen bases. Now, if he you know plays 600 plate appearances, maybe that changes. Uh, but uh, just to have, you know, be the only one to be a unicorn, that's something I can really dig on. And what's really tough in two catcher leagues is keeping your batting average up. It's really hard because if you go with the strategy of like, ah, you know what, who cares? Catchers all suck. I'll just get two guys at the end. And you end up with, you know, even Max Stassi and Eric Hasse. And you're like, ooh, you know, these guys barrel the ball. I love it. They're going to hit some homers. You're talking about a 230 average. If you have a two-catcher league, you're taking some batting average risk there, barring going after two very good options. Some people choose to do that. I can totally understand why you, you might consider it, depending on who's in the room and how confident you are in, in filling out the other parts of your roster. If you don't have even just one decent catcher, I guess I'd rather take my batting average hit with a catcher sharing playing time with someone else who's at least fewer good in power. Appearances. Yeah, because it's fewer plate appearances, right? It's not doing as much relative damage to your overall average um, compared to taking that hit with Joey Gallo, who is an everyday player that might hit 200 with 550 or 600 plate appearances. That hurts you quite a bit more. It's true. It's true. But uh, the flip side is, you know, even with JT Riomuto on my squad and no relative, no batting average risks, I still ended up with just a 271 projected batting average. Uh, In fact, is it 264? Why is that? <laughs> yeah, let's see. 264. Who are my batting average risk? Brandon Nimmo and Cody no. Bellinger. And I ended Man. up and I took Real Muto and Narvaez, which are kind of, you'd think, batting average okay catchers, right? I still ended up with 264 to win your league. You you know, the benchmark you really want to hit and batting average is 270. And I protected my batting average. So I would say the batting average is a really, really hard thing to protect these days. And uh, it is a hard thing to project, but, you know, you got to, you got to, I think that you, here are the other guys that can help you in batting average, um, you know, relative to catchers or relative to league even. JTL Ramuto, Will Smith, Kybert Ruiz, Tyler Stevenson, Alejandro Kirk. That's the full list. Not a position where you're getting much there. If you do get something better from someone else, maybe it's Adley Rutschman, one of the prospects that comes up and, and plays a lot more. We'll talk about Rutschman here in just a bit. Uh, I do prefer Real Muto to Smith for the reasons you mentioned, that more balanced player. I think part of the reason I prefer that, though, is if you're taking Real Muto in a snake draft where he goes, you're passing on someone who runs more, and you're probably leaning a little bit more toward the I need a bunch of guys that run a little bit sort of build. So getting the extra handful of bags from him starts to make more of a difference with what happens elsewhere. And I realize you can you can push pitching later and, and get 
other guys that run and not necessarily have to build it the way I'm describing it. But I have found more likely than not the cost of taking Real Muto that early is needing to be a little more balanced with where those bags actually come from. But Will Smith, I think, is the kind of player that you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Freddie Freeman. He could sign while we're recording this pod. News is breaking like every 10 seconds right now. <laughs> the universal DH situation gives me a lot more confidence in Will Smith's playing time ceiling, right? Because when they mm. didn't have that, I felt like there was this pretty logical and concerted effort to keep him from being overworked. We talked about Sal Perez's early career workloads. The Dodgers are not doing that to Will Smith. I think they'd be a little more comfortable pushing him into the 550 or 600 plate appearance range if he can get a decent portion of those not catching, right? He's, he's a good enough hitter where they can justify playing him as a DH. He's projected to be 30% better than league average with a stick. So, you know, that's well above the 105 WRC plus average for DHs. Um, I, I, you know, I have heard from, uh, from scouts and hitting coaches recently that they think Will Smith is already the best catcher in the game. Uh, that includes some defensive aspects that aren't relevant to fantasy. But um, like if you want to catch Salvador Perez, like if you want to catch a Salvador Perez type season the year before, Will Smith is probably your best bet. I would agree with that because I think the only other guy that I think kind of has that sort of in him is a tier two guy that brings some injury risk. It's, it's just money Grandal. I think what we saw from Grandal in a partial season because of a knee injury last year, like the pace he was on in the second half was a little bit like what Sal Perez did. 23 homers in just 375 plate appearances. He played 93 games. Low average, controls the zone better, walks more than Sal's ever walked. It's always been part of Grandal's game. Doesn't have the, the reach rate problem. Had a career best O-swing percentage last year at 18.7%. If he's healthy, I could see Grandal being the other guy that ends up kind of popping and playing more like a top 50 overall pick as a catcher uh, than some of the other players people might be thinking about. Yeah, it's kind of amazing what he did last year because he was not healthy. You know, uh, the 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 knowledge on this 23% walk rate that he had last year is that he was hurt. His knee was hurt, and he felt like the only way he could help his team was by not swinging. And so he had these ridiculous swinging rates, and yeah, the lowest reach rate of his career, which was already a low one. And and yet he got healthy enough, I think, in the second half where he had the best barrel rate of his career and uh, and kind of combined that extreme patience with better health. So you could see a peak season if he, if he retains that approach and uh, stays healthy all season. I think a peak season from him, even though it's a little bit weird to be talking about that at 33, it's just he has all the skills and the ballpark now that just kind of could combine to a, a peak year. Um, I think a peak year from him would be 255 with 30, 32 homers. Yeah, and good run production too because it's a good lineup that he's got with him with the I White Sox. I don't think he's, they're going to push his plate appearances though. Because it is a team that has a fair amount of options at DH. I mean, you've got Vaughn there. You've got extra outfielders, I think. Am I right? I think that they're not going to play him at DH that much. He played a little bit of DH last year. but Because of Abreu and Vaughn, it's harder to see a playing time number and his own knee injury that where, where Grandal catches Will Smith. I think Smith's being younger also is a huge factor in, in being more confident and paying the premium to get him. So I do like the idea of getting at least one catcher out of the first two tiers. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Dalton Varsho is also in Tier 2. Wilson Contreras is in Tier 2. Varsho, you mentioned him earlier, it kind of comes down to plate appearances. I'm definitely on the side that thinks he's going to be basically an everyday guy in the outfield. And I know our friend James Anderson put this out there on Twitter. He thinks this is the, this is the last time Dalton Varsho is going to qualify as a catcher in our leagues, which gives you an idea about his expectations for role. Second half last year, Dalton Varsho played at a star sort of level. The kind of level where you would say, yes, he is actually an outfielder who used to catch. That's the kind of player he could be. The speed is actually legit. He's 9 for 10 as a base dealer now. Just 430 career big league plate appearances. He's popped 14 home runs. And I think the batting average floor is a lot safer than what we've seen from him so far. The K rates really aren't a problem. I know the, the O swing's a little high, relatively speaking, but... Mm-hmm. For a guy in his first stretch of big league playing time, I'm not looking at that and saying, yep, that's a problem he's going to have permanently. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that, especially with decent walk rates. Um, you know, he must be must be seeing the ball all right. Um, yeah, I, 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 he's exciting. Um, the projections aren't super exciting. That, that always sort of leads me to that quandary of like, am I going to take the leap of faith uh, here where he goes and if, or if I'm or am I going to trust my values you know it's a problem because he's going inside the top 90 overall and it's a little bit like the Salvador Perez problem I was describing earlier where if you're in a snake draft you start looking at some of the other names that are going in that range you're not asking playing time questions about seasoned veterans you're not thinking about that with Chris Bryant you're not thinking about right. that if you're looking at a Cody Bellinger bounce back and like well, how much more can you would you want out of Varsho than what do you think you're going to get out of Chris Bryant that's the problem. Like, yeah, it comes from a catcher eligible player, but there is still some question, there, some performance risk cooked in. And there. then, if you just look at, if you just run the Badax auction calculator, it pops out at you that Wilson Contreras and Yasmani Grandal are projected to be worth two to three dollars more. In in Contreras' case, five dollars more in a, a regular five by five league, um, and they go later. Yeah. I think that I think one of the real values here is Wilson Contreras because, despite what I said about batting average and and stolen bases just coming from Real Muto, uh, Wilson Contreras is one of the few that even comes close. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he he will steal you probably three to five bags, and if that that doesn't sound very exciting, that's a lot better than the zero you get from most catchers. Yeah, so I think for me, I'm I'm kind of in on Varsho as a concept, but less aggressive toward drafting him at ADP with Contreras. I think you are getting a little more value there. A little concerned though, that they brought in Jan Gomes because he's the kind of backup that plays more than every fifth day. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I wonder though, because of, of their offensive structure, if they actually see Wilson Contreras as a DH option and that takes some wear and tear off him. And maybe that's part of why they brought Gomes in. I thought at one point, though, they were going to trade him because they were tearing things down. But they, they're they making moves. They're making moves like a team that it was tr- at least trying a little bit in 2022. So I would assume Wilson Contreras stays. But like this group of catchers quite a bit, kind of like them, Grandel first, Contreras second, Varsho third, just based on where they go ADP-wise. To your point, though, uh, just ran projected WRC WRC plus uh, for the bat X for all of the Cubs. Wilson Contreras, number one. Yeah, he's going to play. That changes a little bit. There's some you know breaking news. We're trying not to do it. But say yeah, Suzuki is probably going to be right there. But uh, Suzuki is probably not going to play at DH. So, uh, you know, Contreras better than Bodie, better than Hap, better than Harold Ramirez, better than Clint Frazier. So, uh I think you're right. I think he's going to play some DH. So to me, I actually might like him a little better than Grandal because the the projections already say he's you know more worth more. There's the possibility of that extra plate appearances, and then he's not coming off a knee injury and he's younger. 
So that's a that's a bunch of stuff. As much as I like Grandal, like that's a bunch of stuff in Contreras's favor. You know, three dollars in the auction calculator. You know, how many years? Three, four years of age, no knee injury, some steals. I I I do like that. I do like shopping there though. Uh, you know, Contreras to me is kind of fun in like twelve and fifteen team leagues as the least ex- like I'm going to say least acceptable. Obviously, you can do less, <laughs> but uh, I love getting Wilson Contreras and feeling like I got a, a C one. You know, basically like I got a I got an above average starting catcher. You know, I got one of the best five. Right, I, and I think this next group here. Uh, shows you how quickly the thing falls apart. Like if you don't take part in the Contreras Grandal Varsho grouping, uh, the next group has way more questions than it has answers. Yeah, that group starts around pick one ten, runs all the way down to about pick two hundred. Only four catches are in it: Tyler Stevenson, Kiebert Ruiz, Mitch Garver, who's now in Texas, and Adley Rutschman, who we learned this week actually has a triceps injury. He's going to miss a couple of weeks, so that will. They also signed Robinson Chirinos. Which he is you know, older than me, I think. Or at least not as old as me. It doesn't need to put a block in Adley Rutschman's way, but it also could perform to the lie that like we've got a competitive team out there, and you know we have to trade Chirinos first or whatever it is. You know, like, they are not even trying to lie about that. They just they just <laughs> needed a backup. They just needed a backup. But Tyler Stevenson right. situation, we're going to talk about this on the three O show. The Reds are for some reason just dismantling their their roster. I mean, they're not going to be they're not going to be like Oakland, but they're definitely cutting payroll and I think that brings the quality of the lineup down, that brings down the counting stats. But Tyler Stevenson looked good in terms of the underlying numbers. They did move Tucker Barnhart pre-lockout to create more playing time for Stevenson. So I'm just kind of curious what do you think uh, this season brings for him? Is it a, a building on what he was doing a year ago when he kind of sharing that role initially with Barnhart? Well, it's not a great barrel rate, and you know his max DV isn't great, so I don't, I don't know if he's got great power, but it, he should probably have at least average-ish power, uh, which compared with really good contact skills and a good sense of the zone, I think, um, makes him a kind of interesting hitter. It's it's kind of rare for a, for a catcher. It's not uh, the normal skill set you have for a catcher. Normally, you have, uh, I think for catchers, you normally have, I would say you have an average of like, you know, 25% strikeout rate, right? And like an 8% barrel rate where half these guys are just like, hey, I'm just swinging for the fences every time I'm out here. <laughs> this is a little bit more of a controlled approach, which could lead to a better batting average. So he's he's in that Ruiz um, you know, Contreras, uh, you know, feel that's after Real Muto that could maybe not hurt your batting average. Yeah, I, th- I think with Stevenson, I think I, I just feel better about his floor than I feel about Ruiz's floor short term since we've had an opportunity to see what happens with 400 plate appearances. The average yeah. maybe comes down a little from where it was for Stevenson long term. I could see Kibut Ruiz being a very good source of batting average in the big leagues. He's never had an issue with strikeouts. He walks an acceptable amount and playing time wise I don't really see a backup that's going to play more than occasionally there so the depth chart kind of lines up well the way that lineup is built he can end up hitting about sixth or so so a little higher that's with their catchers as well so I see things I like about Ruiz but when you factor in home runs in Cincinnati that extra boost being there even if there's some some underlying questions about Tyler Stevenson's power I think it's easy to see him getting to his projection with the open path to playing time and with that ballpark. And there's the, those same questions about the power for Ruiz. I mean, you know, you got these outsized numbers in AAA in 2021 in LA. Um, but other than that, you you have a very similar statistical profile to Tyler Stevenson, you know? Good, not great ISO numbers in the minor leagues. And then he came up and hit like two barrels last year. So I'm not trying to say that, you know, fate accompli, we know exactly what Ruiz's power is, but we that's the point. We don't know what it is. I think we know that Silas Stevenson has at least league average power. Right. And I think with the ground ball rate for Stevenson spiking last year relative to where it was like at double A and even at high A, I wonder if there's a little bit of room for improvement for him there as he continues to adjust to big league pitching this season too. The uh, other players in this group, I mentioned Rutschman and Garver. I mean, Garver in Texas... I tweeted this when the trade happened. I think with Garver, it's a very slight downgrade in terms of home park, but not much, to, not, not enough to even really like change his value. And I think it's probably a question of, well, just how much more can he play? Because Mitch Garver's playing time in the past has been 
lighter than you'd like it to be. He's a little older he's than you think. He's never crossed 360. Yeah, he's 31 already. Jonah Heim's a good defensive catcher. Like, Does anything change about either the setup with the supporting cast? Maybe that's even a wash too. The park, the role to where you think Mitch Garver is in a better or worse situation than he was in in Minnesota. You know, who knows if like, you know, Minnesota was nursing him because they wanted, they, they you know, they thought he would stay a twin throughout his entire, you know, his entire uh, team control years. And so they wanted to make sure he was healthy every year. I, I kind of don't feel like Texas will have that same impetus as much because he's a free agent in 2024. So they got him for two seasons. They want to prove that their whole winning the offseason strategy works. And, um, you know, they want to they want to show that they've got a good offense. I think that, you know, a guy projected uh, to be, you know, 10 to 15 percent better than league average, who's been 22 percent better than league average for his career is going to figure in as one of the uh, the best players on his team. I'm looking right now at the Rangers uh, projections the same way that I did for the Cubs. It's not as depressing. There are more good players here. However, Huh? Is he top five on the Rangers Third. in WRC Plus? Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, he's still good. He's still going to play. Him and Lowe. I mean, it's interesting because uh, the the two guys that are there, Lowe and Calhoun, Calhoun projects to be about 7% better than league average, Lowe 12, Garver 13. Uh, Lowe and Calhoun are probably also people that could play DH. But I don't think there's an obvious first baseman. So I think Lowe just plays all the time. Uh, maybe Calhoun DHs some days. You don't think that Garver gets all DH days, every day he's not catching. That would be a bit aggressive. Uh, but I would say that if, looking at this, Calhoun, Cal, like the Los Dos Calhounes, uh, and and Garver uh, split DH. Yeah, so there's enough playing time to spread around there. I mean, that's an extra 150 maybe for, for Garver on top of the 350 he normally gets, so he might get to 500. I think he might get to five, but I think you expect 425 or 450 and that's better than what he had so maybe it's a better situation plus the donny ecker factor maybe there's something else to be unlocked in the profile but he doesn't need that he's already shown good skills on a per plate appearance basis mitch garver's a 256 341 494 career hitter it's actually really good especially for a guy that can at least catch sometimes uh, in texas i think he's my favorite in this range uh he costs less than than the, the other guys i do uh, appreciate that Tyler Stevenson's batting average is going to be better. So I think, um, you know, of the four that we, that you put in this range, Garver and Stevenson are my favorites based on, am I willing to go the extra two rounds to get Stevenson for the batting average? How much do I need it at that point in the draft? Uh, what has my build been so far? What do you do with Rutschman now? Because it's going to be two to three weeks. I'm not taking him. Yeah, it's two to three weeks before he's resuming baseball activities. Then it's a question of how quickly do they ramp him up? Service time manipulation. Yeah, I, I think all of that is now fully on the table. It was a lingering concern anyway, since they're going nowhere this season. And now this injury just gives them kind of a free pass to do as they see fit with uh, Adley Rutschman's service time. So I don't, if he falls into this tier four cluster, there's a, there's a point at which I'll say, fine, I'll take him. But you have to roster a third catcher or you have to have an IL spot to actually do it. And that's not necessarily the best use of a a precious roster spot if you uh, go this route. So I mean you could you could do something where you you took Varsho and then you take Rutschman and then you take a, you know a really late catcher that you have your eye on. And you're you you're hoping that between those three, maybe you have three players at the end of the season or you know what I mean? Like Varsho mm-hmm. could be good enough to play in the outfield. So, yeah, I don't know. But I, I that's still a lot. That's a fair amount of investment in catcher. That plan right there is a fair amount of investment in catcher. It's still why a lot. Why don't you just Yeah, why don't you just take Wilson Contreras then? You know, like or why don't you just take Real Muto then and then you don't have to do all that investment in catching later. So, yeah, I I I don't like the idea. I don't want a catcher on my bench. I, MJ Melendez, we'll talk about him later maybe, but like that's you know, pairing Melendez and Rutschman is just putting risk on top of risk, I feel like. Yeah, I guess if you were going to take a really unique build and double tap Real Muto and Smith at the 3-4 turn, you know, that pick 45 range, you wouldn't have to roster a backup catcher. If one of them got hurt, you'd have to go pick one up, of course, but then you'd have extra spot in your bench to mess with and you'd have a huge edge at the two catcher spots. 
don't know if that's uh, pushing too far. Every strategy I've come up with so far this offseason is probably just too aggressive and not a good idea. So. I go middle late. And so this next tier that we're talking about, I will have my I go middle late in mono leagues. So mm-hmm. like in AL labor, I went middle late. Um, and I'll, I'll, I've got, I think one of the names that we're about to talk about is, is on my list in 15 team leagues, like TGFBI and stuff. I tried to get one of the, uh, Contreras, Grandal, uh, Stevenson group. It often ended up being Contreras. Tier four is from pick 200 to pick 300. This is a group that includes Christian Vasquez, Travis Darno, Elias Diaz, who's playing a lot in Colorado, Alejandro Kirk, Mike Zanino, Omar Narvaez, the now Minnesota twin, Gary Sanchez, Sean Murphy, and A for now. We'll see what happens when the podcast ends, if he's gone. <laughs> Carson Kelly, Joey Bart, and Max Stassi, who now has Kurt Suzuki back as a backup. So this is a group, I see a handful of players in here that I'm I'm more inclined to draft than the others. Sean Murphy is yes. one of them, because I think even if he gets traded, much like we've said with all of the A's position players, it's probably a better situation park-wise when he goes somewhere else. Playing time-wise, he's a good defender, so the floor is really stable. I mean, if if the Yankees made a trade for Sean Murphy, I'd say this is awesome. He's in a good lineup. Oh, he's yeah. going to play a ton, and he's going to get a big park boost, and maybe we haven't seen his best offensive season yet. Yeah, and it's totally possible because it is a little bit weird for the Yankees, as they are constructed now, to be kind of no offense at short and catcher. Uh, I couldn't. I could see them addressing both of those and pushing Kiner Falefa and Rortvet into kind of background back backup roles. That's a little bit more Yankee like. Anyway, Murphy. That's a digression. Murphy has a really good barrel rate. It's uh, just a touch behind Grandal, but ahead of Contreras. He had a 216 average last year, but a little bit of that was bad luck. He had a 240 expected batting average, uh, and I think you know the reviews for me are. Uh, are positive in every direction. Like you say, defensively, uh, his approach at the plate. He, he took a little step back in walk rate last year, but, um, you know, I, I think that was just a kind of a hiccup on the way to, uh, to, to, to better days. I have him as my starting catcher in labor, and I'm expecting more of that 240 to 245 expected batting average than the projected uh, 220 to 230 numbers. I I just don't see that. If a guy barrels really well and has a good sense at the plate and only strikes out 25 to 26% of the time like, like Murphy does, I don't think he needs to hit 220. I think the problem with having a target that goes as late as Murphy goes is if you didn't address catcher earlier and someone else gets him, <laughs> then you're really in a bad spot. He's kind of like... The last catcher that I really like for mixed leagues, I know I took Carson Kelly in NL labor. He's going to play a lot of Varshals in the outfield. I think he's fine. He's going to be an okay accumulator. Uh, somebody was pointing this out on Twitter. Behind, though. yeah, It gets real bad back there. The problem with Carson Kelly, mashes lefties. He has not been very good against righties. I think the one thing that's kind of a saving grace, though, in that regard is his plate skills aren't that bad against righties. He's not this hopeless, so he just strikes out walks. 30% of the strikeout rate guy. Yeah. But... It's not a great profile, so you have to keep that in mind. At the top of this group, though, Christian Vasquez, kind of the, I don't know, I, I shop at TJ Maxx, so I don't find this to be bothersome, but kind of your TJ Maxx version of JT Real Mudo. He's a catcher that runs. Like, it, it's great. He has some flaws, but I think he played hurt last year. It's a big part of why the power fell off as quickly as it did. Like, if you look at 19 with the rabbit ball and, and even 2020, the shortened season that we kind of throw aside a lot, those slash lines look pretty similar. Those slugging percentages look pretty similar. So I think there's a little bit of a power bounce back coming from Christian Vasquez. I don't think there's much there to push him for playing time. So I would say if you kind of miss out on the first three tiers and you're starting to panic, Vasquez and then one of the other guys you like in this range can still be enough to hold it together in a two-catcher league. The nice thing is he makes so much contact. He puts so many balls in play that you can kind of roll the dice on him. You can see the years that he has good BABIPs, he has good batting averages. Why is that? Because he puts up a bunch of balls in play, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's projected for, you know, exactly league average BABIP. Uh, and so then he's projected for a 250 average. But the error bars on that batting average are quite large, I would say, because BABIP is the one thing that just kind of goes up and down. So if he has a 330 BABIP next year, he's going to have a 260, 270 average, and then he's going to look like Real Muto light. 
You know, he really, I mean, he'll, he'll probably get fairly close if he has, and if he has a good, like another 340 BABIP year, then, you know, you could be really surprised by how close their lines are. However, you want to buy projections and reap the rewards of the luck, right? And the problem is that Vasquez's projections are exactly in line with Alejandro Kirk, Carson Kelly, Omar Navias, and Sean Murphy. They're all basically three to four dollar catchers. And yet Vasquez goes 30 to 100 points higher than all of them in drafts. Yeah, uh, and the guy that's actually by projection the next best player is the guy that goes right after Vasquez and ADP. It's Travis Darno, um, who reminds me of Home Goods for some reason. I don't know what I'm. I'm just messing around yeah, at this point. And he, but he's got a seven dollar value. I mean, I, I think it's a bit aggressive because they're giving him 437 plate appearances, and, and the question is health, right? Definitely a lot of health questions, right? I mean, concussions in the past, uh, torn ACL years ago, only played 60 games in 2021. And the great season that everyone's excited about was the shortened season. It was 2020. It was only 44 mm-hmm. games. And I think there's there's cheap power there. What he did in 2019, sort of showing everybody like, there's still a good player in there, despite all these injuries, it's sort of like the Vasquez thing. I, I can look at those numbers. I can look at the shortened season and, and convince myself that 2021 is the recent outlier, that there is bounce back potential the projections, I think, are, are a good way of level setting. You know, not that he's going to be a top five catcher like he was in the shortened season. No mm-hmm. one should expect that. I think the other thing that's kind of encouraging is that Shea Langoliers is gone. Like, I know William Contreras is still there, but I kind of saw Langoliers as the bigger threat. He was the one who was at the alternate site during the playoffs. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of look Contreras. at that situation as one that quietly got a little bit better as a result of, of Atlanta shuffling. I know Manny Pena's there as a backup. He's a capable backup. But Pena's not the kind of guy that's going to take the starting job away from Travis Darno. He's healthy. He plays. Yeah, I like Darno. I've got some uh, drafts and holds where my first catchers are, you know, Darno, Murphy. Uh, I have bought, in, I do buy in this range. Like I said, Sean Murphy is my first catcher in AL Labor. I, I, and I like this range. You're right that Murphy is kind of the least acceptable last one. But I think if you had a strategy a strategy with Omar Narvaez and Sean Murphy, you might be able to, um, you know, you know, you know, cover your back a little bit. Carson Kelly, those three, if you if you're OK with those three, they're a little bit different. You know, like Narvaez might give you a little bit more batting average and less less power. But I think if you had those three. Uh, circled as your second catcher, perhaps, um, and you didn't didn't want to get worse than that, or your first catcher in a real, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot on catcher uh, attitude, then I think you'd be all right. Even Elias Diaz. The one thing about Elias Diaz, I like him better in draft and hold and best ball just because I think he's going to be a lot more useful at home than he is going to be on the road. I mean, duh, whatever. Thank <laughs> you for your analysis. Good night. It's weird to see a player with multiple seasons where he's been a full win below replacement level like that is <laughs> unusual to see for sure especially as a catcher the rougenet odor of of catchers <laughs> yeah that, that's what you want i mean at least he's in colorado that does bump up the floor uh it, it's fine where he goes i think it's it's really tough to see alejandro kirk sitting there wondering if he's going to play enough to actually be undervalued or if because of their top catching prospect, Gabriel Moreno, being what appears to be big league ready. If that continues to keep Kirk in a, a timeshare, Danny Jansen's still there. I thought that I thought that situation might get resolved with a trade. They made a move for Matt Chapman. We'll talk about that on our next episode. What do you think about Alejandro Kirk's playing time at this point? I think it's just tough to bet on young catchers, man. It's they they debut later, their offense peaks later, they're asked to do so much in today's game. It's just it's a lot. And so Jansen is going to be the guy that has done the pitching scouting reports and has talked to the pitchers and the pitchers all know Danny Jansen. They know how, how to throw to him. Jansen can do some calling, you know. Whereas Kirk you you feel like you always got to like you got to you know, bring him along quickly. And it's not like he hasn't been without some question uh in with regard to his catching ability, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think he's the backup. I don't know. Uh, I, I, obviously he could be a better offensive player than Jansen, but I think that might be a true 50, 50 split. I'm not as worried about Moreno for the same reasons as like that. I'm a little bit downer on Kirk because I think Moreno has a lot to learn. And in fact, I think Moreno is a potential showpiece in the, in, in a Jose Ramirez trade that, you know, there's been so much smoke around that. There's more smoke today in the news about, 
you know, contacting the the guardians about Jose Ramirez. So uh, I I kind of think R- R- uh, Moreno is a is a trade chip. A lot of times, players that go to the fall league are trade chips. They're sent there to play in front of scouts, and uh, and just given the fact that they have Kirk and Jansen and Reese McGuire, I think that he might be a trade piece. So I don't think Moreno's the problem for Kirk. I think it's just his age. Maybe by the end of the season, he's made it a 75-25 for him, but I don't think it, I think if you sum up all the plate appearances for the season, it'll be very close to 50-50 for those two. Maybe a frustrating path to get there. A couple of would-you-rathers within this cluster, low-average, big-power guys. Would you rather have Mike Zanino or Gary Sanchez now that Sanchez is in Minnesota? I'm going to take the chance on Gary Sanchez, and here's my thinking. He's no longer in the spotlight. He's no longer, you don't, like, I think in New York, you, I think it's a real thing where you get asked about your defense, you get asked about those pass balls, you get asked about this, you get asked about that, did you cost them, the, what about your framing, blah, 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 and you know that, you know, the, 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 the sort of radio, talk radio, like, sort of just the New York media situation is such that, you know, he's heard about his 204 batting average or whatever, I just don't think that I think in Minnesota it's sort of a little bit more set it and forget it and you know put him put him at DH and backup catcher and you know no one's going to talk to you about your batting average. So I think uh, I think he'll the, the the opportunity there for good playing time and maybe even um, you know some uh, some good use out of him uh, maybe even some better batting averages. I think that I I like that. I think Zanino is just a defensive catcher who's trying to hit a homer every time he's up there. Which, you know, works for him, for sure. It brings the consistently low batting average expectation. But because the team scores a lot of runs, you get a little more in terms of runs and RBIs from Zanino than you might from other players with that exact same profile. Joey Bart sort of seems like a guy that... Were you taking Zanino? uh, No, I'm I'm taking Sanchez as well. Sorry, I didn't make that very clear. (laughs) Zanino is like the guy that... If everybody else we've talked about so far in this cluster is gone, then I'm like, all right, fine, I'll take Mike Zanino. Yeah, if you it, miss, it if you miss okay. Sean Murphy, and in fact, the ADP, I think, you know, actually what I said about uh, Vasquez, I think Narvaez and Kelly pair better because uh, they're they're not going to hurt your batting average as much. And then mm. Murphy, uh, Sanchez, and Zanino pair, where you want Murphy, but Sanchez is the guy you take if you if someone snipes you on Murphy. I wonder if Joey Bart is actually going to be like another Mike Zanino type player. You know, the, the hit tool is very questionable. The power's legit. Defensively, he's good. The Giants haven't done a lot to change what they have behind the plate just yet. Kirk Casale, I don't think he's ever had more than like 300 or 350 plate appearances before. So it looks like an even split and probably something that favors Bart, barring an outside addition. Hey, maybe they could trade for Sean Murphy, but mm-hmm. the the Joey Bart dream to me seems like it's it's not as as lofty as it once was. Now the question, I guess, is in typical two catcher leagues, are you still comfortable with him at least as your second catcher, given the way that depth chart is made? No, and I think that this is a little bit like the Kelly situation. I would not be at all surprised if Kurt Casale had more bats this year than mm. you know what I'm saying. It's I mean, possible. You just you just had like the best catcher, you know, one of the best catchers of our. I mean, if you're talking complete catching, I mean, one of the best catchers of all time. Like, I think he's a Hall of Famer in Buster Posey. And you t- you have all these pitchers who love throwing to him, and and you have the framing ability and all this that stuff. And you have a guy in Kirk Casale who has you know caught. Let's see here, four hundred and five games. You know. And then you've got Joey Bart, who's caught, what, like 15? I don't know. How many has he caught? Dude, it is like 15. 35. You take the guy who's caught 10 times as many games, right? At least in a 50-50. Anytime there's a question of like, um, you know, this, you know, oh, this pitcher really needs a good catcher behind the plate. I think you go with Casale. I think initially, at least, because you you don't know what you're going to get from Bart offensively either. Like there's, yeah. there's some questions about how well everything fits on the side that has to be good, and then there's the offensive question too. Maybe you score enough runs where your catcher spot doesn't matter. If you're the Giants, that could easily be part of of their story this year. Uh, but I, I just think it's weird that I'm I'm not as excited about Joey Bart as I ordinarily would be for someone with this much of a path to playing time who was the second overall pick in the draft just four years ago. 
It's a bad strikeout rate. And, you know, for all of our talk here about, like, oh, you know, strikeout rates jumping after good ones in the minor leagues, you know, he had a 29% strikeout rate in AAA. It's not, I mean, it's not that much of a jump to the 30, 33 that he's projected at. I don't know where Steamer gets this 27% strikeout rate. It's an easy 35%, I think. When you think about how weak AAA was last year and how much of a a jump it is to the big leagues, it could be mid-30s for the K rate for Joey Bart, barring... Significant improvement, totally possible, but you kind of need to see something to believe that there's a reason to yeah. like, project it. The late darts at catcher, Yadier Molina out there outside the top 300. One more year for Yadi. I mean, he's probably going to accumulate, probably not going to lose playing time unless he's hurt. So oatmeal uh, Oatmeal of oatmeal. Eric Haas could move around a little bit. I just, I don't think that's a, a story that has a particularly positive ending even though he can he can do some damage when he connects the team is going to get better around him and he's going to get less playing time over time yeah that kind of worries me a little bit with him james mccann we, i can see a little bit over stassi though oh i like stassi yeah i, yeah. I think stassi he's a good second catcher in a two catcher league he's not necessarily the guy that you want as your one you're not pairing him with someone else from this group one thing i have noticed though is that if you do want him you may need to jump him over the auction calculator number because the stat cast numbers are good the stat cast numbers are good. He has a little helium. He's yeah. he'll he'll go in drafts. And if you if you have Stassi circled as your second catcher, as I have in leagues, then you better have a backup plan. For me, the backup plans have been uh, this is a little bit like it, there's a big jump here, but uh, but I could see these guys being all right. Austin Nola, um, I think he was hurt last year. You can see that a lot of his batted ball stats, you know, the exit velocity, the barrel rate, all that stuff declined, and he was self described as hurt last year. So I'm hoping for a better year, and the nice thing is a decent contact rate, probably going to have an okay batting average for a catcher, and I think that's a, a nice floor to be at. I think Molina can be part of that backup plan. And then uh, really late, I kind of like Torrance. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of catching there, but I don't think that Cal Raleigh really um, – I, I know that – so a lot of these young pitchers that have come up have been playing with Cal Raleigh and they love him and they they think he's a great catcher and he's nice to throw to but i think offensively the debut wasn't great and then you know once tom murphy gets gets healthy uh, i think it's murphy and torrance and then to me torrance is the guy who has more offensive upside in that you've seen some years where he's made good contact you've seen some years where he's had a good barrel rate and if he puts those two together he has i think the best upside of anybody on the bottom of this list because think about it He's had years with a 10% barrel rate, and he's had years with a 20% strikeout rate. You know, like two of each. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not at the same time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. what you're asking to be is like, can you put these two facets, facets of your personality together, please? And if he can, now you're talking about a 22% strikeout rate, a 10% barrel rate. That's going to be a 250, 260 average. That's going to be, you know, 20 homers, 25 homers. Are you going to really start Tom Murphy, who strikes out all the time over that? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those situations where I, I, in a mixed league, I'd rather just wait and see who's playing more and try to make the move from the wire as opposed to get mm-hmm. it right on draft day. I mean, I think the key difference for me between the Seattle situation and like James McCann is that James McCann should have a 75-25 playing time edge over Tomas Nito. And I know right. it was a down year for McCann. I think it was it was reasonably well predicted by projections. But I don't think he's as bad as he was last year either. I think so you're hoping a, Torrance doesn't get drafted. You draft McCann. You hope Torrance doesn't get drafted. And if McCann, you know, is showing weak uh, exit velocities or whatever, something early on, and Torrance is playing a lot and and not striking out, then you can kind of like jump over. Right. I think I'm chasing playing time in the second catcher spot if I waited this long with McCann or Tucker Barnhart or even Jacob Stallings, just because I know those guys are going to play, and then I can wait and see which. Isn't that better skilled guy emerge? Like I like Luis Camposano a lot too. How is he going to play a lot in the current construct of Unless the Padres roster? Hurt, yeah. The the uh, the one question I have for you though is: Is playing time good for you when you're this late in the catcher pool? <laughs> it it's still better than when you're at the bottom of the AL and NL only pool, right? The $1 mono league catchers, I think actually hurt you. The equivalent $1 mixed league catchers, I think still help you a little bit. The the last of the last starting catchers are still because you just need you, you know, every single run in RBI to win your league. You need every single little number you can get. Yeah. Cause you're not talking about a, a seldom used backup who 
actually hurts you by hitting 185. Like that's that's right. not quite the floor that we're looking at here. The other player, the last catcher we should talk about, MJ Melendez. Mm-hmm. They have Sal. They have a crowd already around first base because you've got Carlos Santana as a holdover. And you've got Nick Prado on the way up. Uh, you got Vinny Pasquantino also kind of emerging as an interesting first base DH option too. I just can't see how MJ Melendez plays a lot unless there's a, a position option in the mix that I'm not thinking about or unless they're willing to move on from Carlos Santana. And I'm not quite sure that there's a, a willing buyer on the other end for Carlos Santana at this point. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the situation in St. Louis where the manager said, you know, we're going to have one of these guys up between Gorman, Newt Bar, and Yepes to, to, to play a lot. And, you know, we're not going to have somebody up that's not going to play a lot, right? Isn't it a little bit like that where, like, there might be one opportunity in Kansas City. I don't even think there's necessarily one full opportunity because Sal Perez can DH a lot, but let's say there's one opportunity in in Kansas City for a rookie to make it. Isn't that going to be Bobby Witt? I mean, it's definitely Witt first because of where he plays and what they have. If there are two opportunities, now you're talking about someone who could come up to split 1BDH with, with Santana. Then it could be Prado. It could be any of the three you mentioned. And, and it might actually matter what their spring looks like. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how they like how they would prioritize like where Sal plays is he just a catcher in a DH or do they, they start to break him in at first for like so long i think you i think they just leave him a catcher and i think it's more likely prado comes up or pascantino but i think prado's the the guy because uh santana's gone after this year and prado's actually a good defensive first baseman which we don't talk a lot about first base defense but if you have this cluster of players they seem to care about it they're, they're kind of a defensive team play the guy that actually is a good defender there but at the same time Prado had a higher K rate at double A and triple A last year than Melendez did Melendez looks a lot safer in that regard as a hitter Melendez was running K rates under 22 percent at double A AA and triple A Prado was at 29 and 28 mm. percent at those two stops so if you said and who's more likely to hit team. right away they seem to most likely like contact guys. Melendez to me and then you just start working Perez at DH in first base. Right. So I just think the answer has to be saying goodbye to Carlos Santana if they're going to play Melendez enough. And unless you're in an AL only or draft and hole or some kind of keeper league, it's really hard to hold on to Melendez and, and wait it out as much as I like what he was doing in the upper levels of the minor I had a leagues. moment in, a- in AL labor where the last two remaining corner infielders I wanted at all were Hunter Dozier and Carlos Santana. And I panicked. I panicked, but I bought I bought Dozier at price. But I, you know, I paid eight dollars for Hunter Dozier. My value said he was eight dollars, but I paid eight dollars for Hunter Dozier because I was terrified of Carlos Santana. I think there's a fair like if you're thinking about like drafting him as a AL only first baseman. I mean, he's 35 years old and he's been below average with a stick two years in a row, and he's projected to be pretty close to average, which is a good way to lose your job as a first baseman. Got a lot of really good players pushing for that job behind him. Plus, too, plus, so. yeah, plus what's behind him. And all, Dozier all plays. That. Dozier can play third in outfield, so he's he's not quite in that in that problem. Uh, I think we got a couple minutes. We can squeeze in the UT players here just to get them done, which is fantastic. And that starts with Shohei Otani, who could have a episode of his own. But I think the only real Otani question that I have, you know, is you know what's next when you look at what he was able to do last year. He had, I think, a fair strikeout rate concern. It's picking nits in a star, but what comes next when you have a player who's this good, who struck out 29.6% of the time while putting up a 46 homer, 26 steal season a year ago? I mean, he's such a raw athlete. It's so, it's almost unrefined in a way. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but you know, he's raw on the on the mound. He doesn't have good command, and he throws hard. And he's raw on the, at the plate, where even though he's walking, like he he does reach at pitches outside the zone, and he does strike out a lot. So it's a he's like I think he might be what like it's it's kind of strange to say, especially with his body size and how he looks. But he might be one of the top three athletes in the game. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he can really run fast and he th- hits everything hard and he throws hard. I think, I think he's an athlete first. And, you know, the nice thing about that is there are learned skills that you get by just by playing more. For example, as you age, you swing less. It's just that's that's a relationship that happens. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily reach less. It just means you swing overall less. He's been swinging at sort of somewhere between a 50 and 45% rate. If he got that down to 41, 42%, it might lead to more walks and fewer strikeouts. Um, I think there's going to be some learned value there. I think he might improve his strikeout rates. Uh, most of the systems say he's going to improve his strikeout rates, but maybe there could be a big jump back to 27 or you know 25%. And then uh, we would see an even better season from him at the plate, which would be crazy because it's going to be sort of the thing where like, can he have a better season at the plate, a similar season on the mound, and then lose the MVP just because people are like, ah, he, he won it last year. I, any healthy and very productive season from Otani is going to be weird in the MVP conversation because he (laughs) does two jobs that very, very few players we've ever seen can even do at that level in any capacity, let alone do as well as he has done. So it's sort of like when a a dynasty coach wins coach of the year for the first time and then doesn't win it, even though they win five more championships. You're like, well, how is that person who's still doing the same great job not the coach of the year again? Mm -hmm. It's that sort of trap that you fall into. I think with the the athleticism and and the fact that he, he does control the zone well, that gives me some optimism that the K rate's not going the wrong way. It could actually come mm-hmm. down a little bit like the projections are pointing to. The batting average floor is probably any, not any lower than it was last year if the K rate stays where it is because he hits the ball so hard and because he runs well. And I think the thing that works also in his favor, we have Mike Trout healthy right now. We have Anthony Rendon healthy right now. He was able to put up these monster numbers last year with a below average supporting cast for most of the season. And I think that's changed as well. So, you know, it, it comes back to the, the typical format questions we've been asking about Otani every year since he came over. In a daily moves league where he is one player and you can move him between your UT spot and you can throw him on the days he pitches, he's the first player off the board for me. He's the best player in the pool because no player can accrue nearly that much value even if he does 80% of what he did as a hitter and as a pitcher last year, he'd still probably be the number one pick in that format. But in weekly leagues where you he's have, still, you have still to choose. It's hard for me to figure out. He's projected to be you know, a top five, top six hitter, and yet he's got lower plate appearances than anybody else in there because he's going to take days off the day after he pitches. How many hitters do you know that are like guaranteed to take a day off? Yeah, it, it's most of the pool gets some days off, but... 639 plate appearances for Otani. Can that number actually go up? I guess if the if the role is exactly the same, I think the hel- and the health holds down. up. <laughs> maybe if they're turning the lineup over a little more often, he can get to 650 and repeat because the lineup is better. But he needs perfect health again, and I just think it's it's really tough to bank on that given everything he's trying to do. Yeah, and it's I you know I've I've had the opportunity to draft him in weekly leagues and then and passed on it because of the sort of run the soft runs in RBI related to the way he's used and the fact that I just uh, you know there are other there are other players there with higher batting averages projected um so I don't want it to you know kind of come out of the first round with a with a batting average that's lower than what I need to win you know isn't the Roto profile like Jose Ramirez, but he also pitches? He strikes out more than <laughs> yeah. Ramirez. But in terms of like the the little bit of a concern about average, uh-huh. the big power, the really nice speed, and the great run and RBI counts, like that's that is the Jose Ramirez five by five replica. It just comes with a K rate that's like twice as high. And in a weekly league, the pitching might be irrelevant. I mean, when are you ever going to put him on the pitching side? It's I, only I, like sort of a, a safety net where. Yeah. If your pitching's really bad, you might actually tank your hitting a little bit just to have that have him in there for for. But he's probably not going to ever have a two start week, so it's not like you'd be like, "Oh, it's September. I really need pitching. I got a two start week from Otani. When was that going to happen?" Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that you over the course of the season you found an excess of hitting elsewhere. Your pitching got torn up by injuries, and you just say, "Well, I know he's better as a hitter than as a pitcher, but." I can't I find need. a pitcher like him on the wire. I need pitching. He's going in as a pitcher. I think you 
You draft him in weekly leagues where he's one player with the intention of only using him as a hitter, barring that sort of, of scenario, which yeah. it, it's just like I, I want to be able to unlock everything he does because it's so fun. But we're just not our leagues are not built for that in, in most ways. The other uh, UT only players always a little underrated. It seems Fran Mil Reyes goes around pick 110. Nelson Cruz, who's now a member of the Washington Nationals, going around pick 180. With Reyes, I mean, zero playing time concerns. This is a, it's a Cleveland team that's light on bats, so who's pushing him? And I think we're looking at you know, kind of a, a Kyle Schwarbery sort of, of output, maybe a little higher K rate than you'd like, but hits the ball really hard and should rack up plenty of runs and RBIs to go along with 30-plus homers. Yeah, I'm trying to find him here. I feel like he's a guy that... Uh, like his shows on my board as is he oh he's DH only so he's mm-hmm. not gonna show it oh, there we go uh, he's a guy that I think feel like he's like sitting on my board for there he is yeah seventeen dollar player he's sitting on my board forever because like I'm gonna take Cattell Marte who's you know projected for the same amount I'm gonna take him over him right and you can see that he's got this one nineteen ADP at least on Fangraphs I I don't know what it is on more updated numbers um, but he's ranked among guys who go in the you know, 40, 50, 70 range, you know. Uh, he kind of goes like a Justin Turner and a Reese Hoskins, even though those are the three that are projected for good numbers in that range. And what you see from that is Reese Hoskins and Framil Reyes, not great batting averages. You're still trying to protect your batting average when you're picking in the like 70 to 90 range, you know, or, in, you know, where he may be going. So he sits there, and Justin Turner is a plate appearance problem, right? So those three will sit there and be values for you for a long time. If you build your team with really good batting average, you can get a really nice value from Hoskins and Reyes by taking him with your sort of 90th pick, which is way after what what the value says you should do and before where uh, their normal average pick is. Yeah, and you could play that game of chicken potentially and, and get him right around their ADP. Yeah. And there's other alternatives. So I, I do like him quite a bit. I think he fits really well if you're addressing speed early, if you're taking an elite catcher early and you're trying to make up some ground and power. I think it's a really good way to do that at a, a discounted price because yeah, projections seem to like him quite a bit. The projections say he's you know basically Jose Abreu, just a, a UT-only version, and he's going quite a bit later in most drafts. Nelson Cruz, it's so fun, you know, he's back, glad he's, he's playing again this year. Little surprise he landed in D.C. because they just didn't seem like a team that was playing for this season, so why would he go there? But it's a good place to hit. It's a good place to hit. It's a good place to hit. And one thing that uh, you might not notice, you and I wrote this in my 5,000-word uh, omnibus uh, <laughs> that, that I now have to add another 1,000 words to because of today, Um that uh, you know, you you look at his years, uh, you know, leading up to this last year, and in the Statcast era, he's one fifty eight WRC plus, one forty eight, one forty six, one thirty three, one sixty four, one sixty four, one twenty two. Oh no, he's it. This is it. Age has come for him. He's done. Well, uh, guess what? It wasn't one twenty two all year. It was uh, in Minnesota. 141. Hey, that wouldn't look that weird compared to all those other years. What happened is he went to Tampa and his strikeout rate went through the roof and his walk rate plummeted. And Tampa has those lights, the bad, uh, the bad backdrop, backdrop, the bad batter's eye. And you can see this. Willie Adamas is famous, a famous example. It suppresses walks. It increases strikeouts. And I think Nelson Cruz just had a hard time with the new stadium. So, you know, I don't think he's going to have that hard time uh, in, uh-oh, here comes my phone call. <laughs> ah, there it is. Yeah, I don't know why the trop has to be a poorly lit Applebee's in terms of how it plays, but clearly we have to go. Nelson Cruz, a nice value where he's going and even still a good value if he jumps up a couple of rounds. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Be sure to leave us a nice rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be listening. You can follow Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. Find me at Derek Van Riper and get a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>